0: Hello and welcome to Studio Sessions, the big red and shiny podcast where we talk with artists about the ideas, inspiration, and processes that go into their work. I'm your host, Matt Kuhlman, and in this episode I'll be speaking with Ashley Billingsley. Ashley earned her BFA from the University of Minnesota and her MFA from the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. In her most recent series of work, she has focused on a scene from a Kurosawa film and begun creating a series of large-scale graphite drawings of selected stills. While similar to her previous work, which often featured captured moments from her life, she takes a step outside of herself by borrowing the imagery from another source and dedicating a large amount of time to meditating on just one short moment in the film. Join me as Ashley explains the draw she feels to this scene, and also discusses some of her past works. Hi, Ashley, how you doing? Good. Good to meet you here in your studio. And um, so I was looking around at some of the pieces when I first got here, and there was one that caught my eye immediately, which also stood out in my mind from looking at your work, is the one of the fires in the forest there. Oh, yes. And I think that one stuck with me because it's like a striking, very intentional image. Like, it looks like it was very intentionally composed and executed. And that was just one that made me wonder, like, what the story was or the idea was behind, like the setup of A Fire Out in the Woods, like, what was your initial idea with that?
1: Yeah, that one um, really uh, came, came about as a result of watching a film. I had seen the Akira Kurosawa film, Seven Samurai, mm-hmm. um, several times, and just over a period of some years. And there was this one scene that's really quite brief. It's probably less than 20 seconds, cut with a little bit of other stuff in between. Mm -hmm. And it's at a point in the film where the fate of all the protagonists involved hangs in the balance. And so right in this moment, there's this sense of tremendous anticipation about what's coming on the other side of this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really the cinematography that just stayed with me and I found that I kept thinking about this scene And returning to it And really wanting to watch the film again mm-hmm. Just to encounter that moment again Were you a big fan again. of that
0: film in specific Or just the genre of the old samurai film? Um,
1: I, I do enjoy them uh, I guess if, I've if seen If I remember
0: right It's the basis of like the spaghetti western It's kind of the uh, the same idea Of the kind of epic Swordsmith or gunsmith yes. Like out in the wilderness or whatever Right, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I do have an interest in them. I, I would not say that I'm a historian about it. I think there are some mm-hmm. people who are much more academic or historical in their basis for engaging with those genres. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, I, I tend to come to them by way of painting, and I think they, they do tend to have a, just an incredibly striking... Uh, visual environment mm. and it's so uh, spectacularly realized and and, and very stylized. Yeah. But I think what interested me in that particular film was the way that the landscape was uh, how it was depicted and how it was used uh, in many ways as a narrative agent within the overarching story. Mm. So so that's really what the impetus was for that series. And that's what I've been working on for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm still in the middle of it. And I initially thought that I would make some drawings to help me think about paintings that I could do dealing mm-hmm. with the same subject matter.
0: Yeah, the things I saw over here, these look like they're actual photographs of a setup that you like created and photographed to work off of, Is that right?
1: Right. So... So this is an example of one of several very low-res uh, digital prints of a film still mm-hmm. that I used. So I went through the sequence of 17 or 18 seconds, whatever it was, and I looked at each frame uh, for its compositional properties mm-hmm. and, and basically uh, pulled from that group uh, probably about 14 or 15 moments that I'd like to deal with Mm -hmm. in in drawings. So even though I originally anticipated using them to help me think about later paintings, and I think I may still do that, I've found myself really absorbed in the drawing series, so that's where I still am. Mm,
0: I saw two different ones. Um, Are you continuing to work on more of the 15 stills that you pulled or so? Yes. Uh, What point are you at right now?
1: Uh, I'm on the fifth one right now, yeah.
0: (laughs) So. I guess are is there, are they going to be shown in like a specific order? Or like, uh,
1: I haven't decided. I I would like to have an opportunity to be in a space with all of them at the same time at mm-hmm. some point. I still, you know, right now in my studio they're stacked in these kind of ridiculous towers to protect them from stuff falling from the ceiling. And so mm-hmm. I usually when I work in here I always have to. Cover stuff up when I go because things there are a lot of mysterious, unexplained leaks and things that happen. So, mm-hmm. so I really uh, am only at one time ever looking at the one that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So, but but I do think of them as uh, definitely being about the expansion of this brief moment in time. And so, mm-hmm. ideally, at least on one occasion, I would love to see them in a grouping.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw several of. Uh, Drawings that were like similar in style, at least, and kind of subject matter of dealing with the outdoors were that those all like were those all direct spinoffs of what you were doing in that one, or were they earlier precursors? Uh,
1: they they came before, mm-hmm. um, and then so those were.
0: I like this piece right here. Is a painting of an right. outdoor, right collage of things. And
1: yeah, that one, uh, that was one of the last paintings I did for a while before moving into the drawing. And so the, the precursor images that you just referred to, uh, that were a little more spare that had a lot more white space. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, those were also begun as a way to think about painting moves, both in terms of you know just brush strokes. I had worked with some cut paper and, and using the cuts as analogies to marks that I might make with a brush and just trying to think my way through. What what would be larger compositions, and mm-hmm. and they wound up kind of segueing into this mm-hmm. current body of work.
0: Yeah, I remember um, you said there's a lot of white space that look kind of ghostly, like they're foggy or very atmospheric. I'd say right and, um, in a way that kind of reminded me of like uh, Chinese and Japanese like landscape paintings. Was that like intentional or just coincidental, more? <laughs> um,
1: it it wasn't something that I did intentionally although there is a lot about those that, that I really respond to. Mm Um, I think in general, there's a kind of economy in the line and, uh, just a very sure hand in the, in the treatment of a lot of the graphic marks Mm -hmm. that does interest me a lot. Um, but it's a, it's an affinity that I've of discovered as I've gone along in looking at what I'm making and recognizing its relationship
0: mm-hmm. yeah specific it reminded me of Tohaku he did like these pines in the mist and he's one of the few Japanese painters that I saw where he like really used different tones of ink to like make trees look set back in the mist and they'd just be very faintly visible and then the ones in the foreground would be more solid ink and you don't see a lot of that tonality play it's usually like the mark play right but it was just an observation that I saw. looking. So. Yeah, I would be interested
1: to check it out. I remember, in when I was in school, I remember coming upon a book, the in the library, the Mustard Seed Manual for Painting, oh, yeah, I've I'm heard probably about it, slightly so. ruining the title of that, but um, where it basically offered a catalog of ways, a, a how-to book for painting all kinds of elements in the natural world, people, some animals, and and I remember thinking that that. Uh, I love the idea of that as a kind of offering and a, and a resource to go to, mm-hmm. and um, and just the idea of cataloging those marks with the express intention of helping painters. Yeah. You
0: know. mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the fire in the woods piece that we started talking about is that? Did I just kind of hit the nail on the head with your most current work? There or is there other things that you're working on right now that oh. are separate from that.
1: Uh, there, There's some other stuff I'm doing also. There's a series of mixed media works on paper that I've just begun mm-hmm. um, that's bringing back some more elements of color, but I think it's also attempting to bridge some of the qualities of the recent drawings with my interest in color. I've been reluctant to bring color into the The imagery that I'm dealing with right now in the Fire in the Wood series, Mm -hmm. I I actually tried that along the way, and it and it was it didn't quite do what I wanted it to do. So so these the other works that I'm doing are uh, are a much larger gesture. It's requiring much more of a kind of physical application than this uptight pencil work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of it I think is just to give. give expression to a different kind of energy in the actual making process. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I would say that it's related in terms of dealing with some of the um, imagery from outdoors.
0: Mm. Is it still pretty recognizable as outdoor scenes or uh, landscapes it's, or is it getting more abstract with the looseness?
1: I think it's my suspicion is that it will move further into the direction of abstraction. Mm. Um, I'd like to be able to deal with some of the kinds of moves that I'm making on a much smaller scale in the current series, and be mm-hmm. able to expand that and, and perhaps edit it in such a way that it's really departing completely from any real-world um, discernible reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's a it, it's early, so I yeah. I'll see.
0: <laughs> so you seem to try to wrap everything that you do back around a painting or do you mostly like consider yourself a painter and then you do other things outside of that sometimes or
1: um well I guess I it's a good question I I haven't had to answer it for a while so (laughs) I have to think about what I would say today but um, painting has definitely been among the most enduring strands in my art-making life over Mm -hmm. a lot of years, Uh, I I do think that it shapes very much the way that I look at work in all other kinds of media as well. Mm -hmm. So that's probably a roundabout way of saying yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what was kind of your starting point with painting then, I guess? Because right now you are dealing with the kind of cinematic narrative aspects of the films that you're talking about and then kind of blowing them out into abstraction but where did all that kind of start because I remember seeing some there were obviously older pieces I don't know how old they were on your website but uh just like different interior scenes and things like that were those.
2: right um
1: those works that you're referring to are uh, th- those were from a period when I had moved to Boston and when I came to school at the mm. museum school and I my work at that point was in a really big transition, so for a number of years I had, I, I thought of myself as a figurative painter and that was really a, a major element in almost all of the work that I did for several years prior to coming here. But when I arrived in Boston, I think particularly being in that kind of environment, um, I I realized quickly that if you Put a figure in a painting. It could be, it could be a two-inch figure in a twenty-foot painting. Everything else you do will be uh, framed and read in reference to the mm-hmm. human narrative. Yeah. And and I and I had not thought of that before. Um, in in my earlier work, I thought of myself as using the figure as a vehicle to address other things but it became clear to me in a school environment that um, that there was so much baggage that comes with that symbol mm-hmm. or form that, that it had a way of taking the conversation about the work in a direction that really wasn't what I wanted my work to point to. Mm-hmm. And so I think the pieces that you're referring to are ones that I was making in, in a period of transition when I basically decided to stop everything that I'd been doing before and really try to re-examine the the premises within my work kind of item by item so Mm -hmm. in terms of subject matter in terms of how the paint was laid down what the ground was and and just build anew and and try to try to assemble elements based on well what can I say with certainty about you know what I what I care about and what I want to make my work about Mm -hmm. Um, so so the, those interior pieces were, uh, I guess I would say, my first stab at trying to um, negotiate that leap in the work. Um, but I, I eventually moved from that kind of subject matter into basically getting outside of domestic interiors because those two have a whole host of associations that, that I thought were not... Uh, not necessarily where I wanted to take the viewer either. So Mm. it's just sort of an iterative iterative process.
0: Aesthetically, I seem to remember they were similar to your outdoor stuff where they were like really atmospheric and kind of ungrounded. It was really ambiguous towards the exteriors of the painting, but then like it would move in towards a more centrally defined scene of some type. Right.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I was experimenting with ways of thinking about how how landscape, um, whether it's in an in interior architectural setting or somewhere with a reference to nature, um, how how it might be used to, uh, how it could operate as a, um, a a screen onto which an interior narrative might be overlaid. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what really determined a lot of the appearance of those things, like the ways of framing the images and what was distinct and what was not, and all those kinds of decisions were following from that kind of general idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's still something that interests me um, in the work I'm doing now, too, is to think about how... Um, I, I think that the landscape is just an incredibly rich subject uh, for for being able to speak to that um, that that place that we can encounter in a common way and share with other people, but that we are looking at in such incredibly different ways, just depending on our points of reference. Mm-hmm. So I think it's 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 amenable to dealing with those kinds of ideas. Mm-hmm.
0: that you don't always work in uh, painting, like you do several different things. I do remember seeing some uh, short animation were they animation or where they film? Um, yeah, they were video animation. Okay. right? Yeah, some pieces and in a way I can see how they're really kind of tying to what you're talking about again with the Kurosawa films where there's the, like very brief moments of stillness and in the videos of yours that I saw there was a lot of ambiguity as to what was actually going on but you could see Fragments of like interior spaces and outdoors. And is this, are these animations just kind of like a nexus of all the things that you're working with where they all kind of come together at once? And
1: uh, in I a do, moving
0: form.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do think that I, I really enjoy working in that way. And it, it, I wish that there were 36 hours in a day because I would love to do <laughs> more of that too. Um, yeah,
0: it is time consuming to do video it, stuff, but. it is,
1: it is. And, and I, well, I'm also very interested in the sound component. I, I love um, the occasions in which I've worked with sound. I've, I've been so excited about the, um, actually, in many ways, it's the editing process um, mm-hmm. that, where I think it's really at for me in a lot of ways. And I think the animations that I've made um, reflect that too. Um, I I do like to be able to gather a lot of material and uh, make a major amount of decisions about what it's going to become actually like in the floor with it scattered around or or the digital equivalent. Um, So yeah, I I would love to do more. I I think I will. Again, Mm. I look forward to doing it, but I I haven't made animations for a couple of years.
0: Mm. Yeah, The ones that I watched, I seem to remember they were about two or three minutes long. Was that like the full... Thing or was that just a fragment of it? Uh, no, it was
1: the full length.
0: Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch both of them, then in their entirety, I just get through and right. get the whole picture overview. But can you take me through like what was what exactly was going on in them? If you yes, let's see.
1: So um, the the earliest, relatively recent one. I have done other ones um, with sixteen millimeter film. You know, working with other stuff. Mm-hmm. Many years before, but um, the ones that are on my website the the earliest one is um, it's shot with uh, digital video stills um, and it it basically is uh, it's called fidget and it's looking it, it's playing with low quality video camera static um, as an element in the image uh, where you basically see that something is moving. So it's, there's, there's movement that um, you begin to, you become aware of as you're watching it and, and it is kind of hard to make out exactly what it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it has some degree of apparent specificity to something, but, you, mm-hmm. but you're not going to get enough information to be able to say for sure what it is. So that one combines some text um, with the image. And the image was made with cut paper that I had also painted. And it was pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the after that, I did a series of three um, that I called the Trilogy on Paranoia, which um, the first one was a silent piece um, where, again, I started to work more with youth, trying to think about how static could basically be analogous for the experience of looking into darkness when you understand that you have a limited data set and you're still going to try to extract meaning from it. Mm-hmm. I mean that's I guess that's really the best summary of the the core idea that I was trying to explore in, in a lot of those. Um, and so in that one um, you the first one was called casing, that's the silent one. And and I guess as I went through the process of editing it 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 seemed to me to be about a a domestic interior that was being observed from uh, an outside point of view Mm -hmm. with occasional references to uh, someone who was in that space maybe sensing that there was someone or something around Um, Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't I I wouldn't say that I set out to make it about that but as I've thought about it later to me that's kind kind of what it
0: Present of the How I understand it,
1: right. <laughs> um, yeah, it was funny. I thought about it later because my I made that piece not too long after someone had broken into my apartment, and I remember <laughs> coming back from the New Year's holiday and, and wondering why there was a present on the coffee table in the living room that definitely was not there before I left town. <laughs> and what I discovered, my neighbor explained, that actually the police had kindly brought it in when they were all six of them in the bedroom doing a police report (laughs) while I wasn't around. So, um, so anyway, I think that probably played into it in some kind of tangential way. Right. (laughs) So anyway, so they, so the ones in that series, I'm trying to think then, uh, the next one, uh, oh, the next one, uh, and I cannot remember the title of it right now. Um, that one was inspired by the sound of neighbor's feet walking up above. Oh, I definitely um, know that sounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and just thinking about the, uh, you know, I, I mean, that one really came from just a normal life experience of wondering why people seem to rearrange their entire apartment at 2.30 in the morning <laughs> every week. <laughs> so... Or if that's um, what
0: they're actually doing, like what are they doing? There? Exactly, <laughs>
1: right. Um, there's a song that Tom Waits has where he's asking what's he doing over there? The whole song is basically mm-hmm. about observing, I think, a neighbor or something and wondering about that so mm-hmm. uh, I was thinking about that and, and also I had been playing around with sound and making sound recordings and, and I realized from turning equipment on in my apartment and having actually good microphones how unbelievably noisy the, just the world was. and oh yeah, like, definitely. <laughs> you know, the dogs that you could hear from seven miles away.
0: Yeah, I deal with that all the time, recording <laughs> these interviews. <laughs> right. I going yeah. I've been to New York for several of them, about 20 interviews, and even with the windows closed and everything, it's like you still hear sirens, you still hear cars, yeah. you hear birds. Like. right, and you never realize
1: how loud it is in the, the flight path going mm-hmm. out of Logan Airport. So... Um, so I think a lot of that too was, I, I that work was uh, a way of trying to think about how this idea that that I'm I'm still thinking about I've been thinking about it for a long time, but but just the idea of how um, how much that we hope our senses can tell us about the world that we're living in, and and how often. If you really pay attention to information gathered through the senses, you find yourself just at a dead end where they they just don't deliver what you really want to know. Mm-hmm. And you know, or on the other hand, if you're really really listening, um, the stuff you hear like that, you know, if you're listening yeah. to mm-hmm. your environment through really good sound equipment, um, it's it, it's I don't know. It's just uh, it's random. Yeah. <laughs> it's very random. It's
0: very. John cage and the, the environment is your orchestra <laughs>
1: yeah well and, and if and so I think it, it to me that always takes me back to the idea that we we are all the time inventing meaning to ascribe to this information that we're receiving and mm-hmm. and with greater and lesser accuracy or uh, more or less imaginative license and um and so all these kind of visual forms for me are w- w- ways that I'm trying to look at and think about those mm-hmm. ideas.
0: And so outside of the uh, the trilogy that you mentioned, was that like the bulk of the video stuff you've done already? And yeah, you... in the
1: last several years, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really... I, I, there were a few other ones that I did too um, that, were, uh, that I, I've not posted on my website, but there were some that were hand drawn, Um, there were some that that were loops, uh, very short loops, one that was a a hole in the ceiling with a a cord dangling out of the hole in the ceiling and it would Mm -hmm. just kind of move and change a little bit from frame to frame. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, they definitely in terms of subject matter and composition were uh, veering in a very minimalist vein. I mean, they were very simple and spare um, mm-hmm. in terms of what was actually pictured. Um, and, and a lot of the time I was trying to think about how the, the materials I used themselves might uh, supply additional information. So, for example, it, well, in the same way that in the videos I was telling you about with the low-res video and how the static uh, which is not highly prized as a mm-hmm. as a feat of technology, yeah. mm-hmm. but how I think it does uh, carry a, a a material kind of quality mm-hmm. that that might might be comparable to the difference between a screen pr- screen print or a drawing or a painting or a photograph, just in terms of the
0: yeah, textual quality. It projects information to the, to the viewer in some way. What that is can be different, but Right. I guess there's a kind of uncertainty to static because it's like the film isn't working right or something. Right. <laughs> the recording is broken down a little bit at that point.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I like the idea. I just like to think about the the layers of meaning that might come into play that are uh, below the kind of text aspect of the image itself mm-hmm. um, that are just you know inherent in the materials. Mm-hmm. And and how how they might speak without, um, just in a in a just in a different way.
2: Mm.
0: You know, yeah, it's funny you mentioned materials because I was a little curious about the different materials that you use. Um, I noticed that a lot of your drawings were on like drafting film. Is that right? And yeah, um, it's got a very different quality than working on paper, and it can be a lot more versatile in some ways, I think. But uh, are yeah. there other like materials that you use that aren't necessarily traditional drawing or painting materials?
2: Oh,
1: let me think about that. Um, boy, the last several years, um, my the, the materials I, I've worked with have been... N- what is the word? I, I have determine the materials in the projects based on how um, how how strong and purposeful I felt about that particular thing, I definitely decided to um, structure my work in such a way that I was really excited about every single second of the process of mm-hmm. doing it from the preparation of the canvas or paper. Um, you know, to the completion of it. And, and I guess that has really dictated the choices that I've made. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that the last several years the materials have been so untraditional. Mm. Um, for the paintings, um, the the last few years of paintings I've done, I've done on linen that was primed with a clear gesso. I did care about that. I liked mm. starting from not white, um, although I, I think in the next next group of paintings I do I may change that but um
0: I remember seeing one one of your older paintings that was done on like flannel it said I never heard of that oh (laughs) that was a shirt (laughs) it was it used to be a shirt
1: (laughs) yeah that one um I just really liked that shirt, yeah. and, uh, and it was wanted and it was
0: immortalize it forever. Yeah,
1: it it was really past its prime, and uh, and I I wanted to try hard to extend its life
2: a nice. little bit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, but some of that was also practical. I mean, when uh, it's funny because when I moved from the Midwest, which is where I lived before coming to Boston. Um, I remember because I was getting ready to start school. Uh, I expected to be broke for the next few years, and so I brought every single material that I ever had in my entire life that I could possibly <laughs> want to use to do anything. And um, and so after a while, it, it was kind of a reaction against that that I just I just went through and brutally edited mm. everything in my art space. So I realized you
0: didn't have any place to keep it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was
1: it was ridiculous and. Um, I remember the poor friends who helped us move and they were packing the truck and they, they were not visual artists. And they were like, really? <laughs> this scrap of cardboard is is a keeper?
0: Could be used for something. Right, right.
1: So um, so basically, when I could, and, and when, I, especially when I was in school and I was telling you about uh, deconstructing my work process and building it from the ground up, that was when I was taking a long, hard look at every single thing like that and, and basically just decided um, you you need to raise the threshold of questioning on whether this material or, or that material is going to stay in the game, so I, I yeah. got rid of a lot. You
0: know? Yeah, I've definitely had to go through that with my own stuff, just like, every now and then I need to purge and be like, I'm never really realistically going to use these things, I just need to throw them away. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, and I'm I just can't...
0: Taking up space.
1: And I can't say that... Uh, I I don't think there's anything I've missed, (laughs) you know, so, um, yeah, so that's kind of become part of working, so, yeah, but the drafting film, um, with this particular current series, what I, what I do really like about it is that, uh, you, you can erase a lot, you can, you can start, you could have drawn a lot, and you can eradicate it completely and start again. And, and have none of the kind of uh, problems on, on your piece nice. of paper yeah. <laughs> so um, I like that about it and, and I also think that it, um, it, it's able to register a surprisingly broad spectrum of kinds of marks mm-hmm. for such a single, you know, straightforward surface yeah. so, so that's kind of what I'm in it for mm-hmm. these days
0: you also mentioned like cut paper pieces in a couple times. I don't really remember seeing anything like that. What are some of the times we've done that?
1: Um, those are the ones. It, it's you can't always tell so clearly from the photograph. But the the images that you were asking me about earlier that that were the precursors to the fire and wood series okay. that were dealing with the outdoor, like foresty kind of images, mm-hmm. um, that uh, but that were more line based than. Mm. Rendered with shadows and stuff, um, so those were the ones with cut paper, and and so I did use um, drafting film for that too, just because it was more mm-hmm. substantial.
0: Were you doing like multi-layeredness of cutting, or was it more a single plane and then like cutting and yeah, three-dimensionalizing it? Was,
1: dimensionalizing it um, no, it was just one, and um, I I actually did it initially because it. Uh, it seemed like a way that could be helpful to think about painting in a more uh, expedient way than I could work through the thinking in paint itself, mm-hmm. and um, because I'm, I'm not a particularly fast painter, so <clears throat> so that's kind of why I, I was using that. But um, at a point, I stopped just because I was going cross-eyed, and <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, you know, it was it was kind of useful, but I wasn't uh, committed for the long haul to that particular technique, so mm-hmm. that's why I stopped. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: I'm well, about out uh, of questions for you. Was there any other pieces or things that you wanted to talk about before we go? Or?
1: I don't think so. Mm. But I appreciate you coming by. Yeah, well, thank you.
0: Interesting to hear about your work. Thanks for talking with me.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs>
0: And that concludes this episode of Studio Sessions with our guest Ashley Billingsley. You can find her work online at ashleybillingsley.com. You can also learn more about me at my website, mattcoolman.com. If you'd like to support this program, you can send a donation through PayPal to studiosessionspodcast at gmail.com. Even if you only send $1, your donation helps guarantee I can continue providing interviews with interesting artists for your listening pleasure. And of course, don't forget to visit BigRedAndShiny.com for future episodes, along with other high-quality arts and culture content. Thank you for listening, and see you next time on Studio Sessions.